Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? This week on the podcast, we are talking about Dan Siegel's hand model. So this is something that I use a lot in my work because it takes the parts of the brain and really breaks them down for kids. And then Georgetown Georgetown University took this concept of this hand signal and even broke it down further for younger kids. And that's, that's the, the model I usually use. Why do I use this? Because there is no easier way to explain the brain and how the brain works under stress, pressure, trauma, all these things, and how that relates to human biology than this hand signal. So over the past few weeks, we have talked about different parts of the brain and how it impacts behavior and emotions and learning and all these things. And in this hand model by Dan Siegel, he talks about this upstairs brain and downstairs brain and how these areas really influence learning and our stress response, our fight, flight, freeze, fawn reactions. And the, the downstairs brain was really designed to keep us safe. And um, the upstairs brain kind of later to develop and really based in logic and reason and all those things. So you can imagine what happens when we fall into our downstairs brain and we fall into this kind of reactive, emotional, like keep ourselves both physically and psychologically safe. It overrides our logic, it overrides our reason and that upstairs brain. So I'm gonna teach you this. Uh, concept from Dan Siegel, and then I'll break it down for you, uh, for younger kids, so that you can all understand what's happening in the brain and help kids to understand what's happening in their own brain. Because I start to teach this to kids as young as two, kids that are cognitively able. I start to teach it at two, definitely by three, and they might need some more exposure, but they can, they can grasp it because it's really simplified uh, down to their their ability to understand. So, what you do with this, and I'm going to try and explain this verbally without having a, a video to show you, but uh, there is a blog post on this on our website, thebehaviorhub.com. So if you need the visual, go to the, the blog, but you have your hand open, like you're going to high five someone and you tuck your thumb across your palm. And then you wrap your four fingers on the top around your thumb and you're squeezing your thumb. So what happens here is this hand uh, crossed like this is a representation of the, the brain. And your thumb that's against your palm is what we call the downstairs brain. And that is the emotional part of the brain. So that reactive, impulsive, keep me safe part of the brain. 
the four fingers on top that are wrapped around the thumb. That is the upstairs brain. So it's logic, reason, communication, problem solving, all those good things. If we break that down for young kids, your thumb or the downstairs brain is called a barking dog. Cause think about it. A dog works as like a, a threat detector. So when someone comes in or someone knocks the door, the dog is going to bark. It's going to tell you that there's a potential threat at the door. So that downstairs brain, we call it the barking dog. The four fingers across the top, the upstairs brain, we call it the wise owl because it's the thinking brain, logic and reason. So what's happening here is when something environmentally, uh, or maybe not environmentally, just some type of, of trigger will cause the dog to bark. So you can show this by moving your thumb in and out very rapidly, lifting your fingers and making the thumb move very rapidly to show the dog is barking. And when the dog is barking, that loud noise of the dog scares away the wise owls. You can take your four fingers and you can show them flying away from the dog. And what that represents is when we are emotionally elevated, when the barking dog is triggered, when the downstairs brain is triggered, then we can't access logic and reason because the wise owl has flown away. The wise owl isn't available. So even communication, redirection, all those things, they don't work. They don't work until we get the, dark, the barking dog to calm down. So we have to do something in the moment to calm the barking dog for ourselves or teach kids how to do this so that the wise owl can fly back and we can access logic and reason again. So what are some of those things? Barking dog, what we'll call the barking dog, movement, human touch, breathing. Simultaneously, you want to work on things to strengthen the wise owl because we want to stay in that brain. We want kids to stay in that brain. So it's like a muscle and we're going to make it stronger. What are things that strengthen the wise owl? Meditation, stretching, yoga, some slower movement. Things like mindfulness, all of those things will help to strengthen the upper parts of the brain. So we want to work on both at the same time. Best to teach kids these things before they get upset so they can remember to use them when they are upset. Because remember, you can't access logic and reason so easily when you are upset. So all really good to know because this is how the brain works. And kids need to understand how the brain works because they need to understand when their dog is barking, not necessarily why. I mean, it's helpful to know why, if we can change that, but they definitely need to know when and recognize that so that in that moment, they can either prevent or stop the dog from barking and bring back logic and reason. Because when we respond with logic and reason, things go a lot better. Think about if you're having a disagreement with a significant other, if you get very emotional and you become somewhat irrational, conversation usually doesn't go well. So we want to calm that irrational part of the brain and get back into logic and reasons so that we can stay in a good place of communication. That's the plan here. So let me give you an example. Uh, in schools a lot, especially like in preschool, primary school, kids will hit, um, take things, throw things. And <laughs> someone will always tell me for no reason they did this and they did that and never is the case. There was something that triggered their dog to bark because <laughs> hitting and throwing and uh, disrupting relationships is not part of our human biology. We don't necessarily want to do that. So if we are doing that, there's something that has caused a disruption. 
So something, and it could be something as simple as a smell, a sound. It could be something that someone else near the child did that triggered them that we didn't see. But there's something that triggered that dog, that, that child's dog to bark. And when that dog started to bark, logic and reason was gone. The wise owl had flown away. And that's when the impulsive behaviors come in, the hitting, the <laughs> scratching, the pinching, the spitting. So in those moments, the first thing that we want to do is try to do some type of movement, um, try to do some breathing if possible, um, human touch if it's, <laughs> if it's safe for everyone to do that. Um, but it's not always possible to do some of those things in the moment. So what we want to do is we know this, this child continuously does these things when they are calm, when their barking dog is not barking, and when their wise owl is present, teach them ways to calm down. Maybe give them a word, maybe give them a cue word, like maybe a breathing technique is called bear breath. And in that moment, you can just say the word bear or bear breath, and the child will be cued potentially to be able to um, access that tool because they'd already practiced it before they got upset. If nothing else, you can co-regulate. So instead of you, you know, putting a demand on them, having them do anything in those moments, you can just regulate alongside them and do what you want them to do. Maybe that's a self-hug. Maybe that's modeling deep breathing. Maybe that's showing some movement. Maybe that's getting some resistant work in, but uh, you have to calm the barking dog before you could reason with that child and know that this is again, an impulsive reactive response. The child isn't necessarily wanting to do that. It is just their default behavior. And then we can work on changing that behavior later, but that's a topic for a whole nother day. So keeping it short and sweet today, because <laughs> that was a lot of science. Um, but I do want to go to our listener question because it's a good one. Today's listener question is what are the best ways to help teachers understand behaviors, especially like more positive behavior support. So the one thing that I always do to get buy-in is I share the research because if there's a lot of research behind something. There's a lot of evidence and it's kind of hard to refute that when I can provide so much evidence. So that's the first place I start because that usually works pretty well. It's hard to argue against that. And uh, so here's a great example. A parent called me and was explaining that a teacher was using Class Dojo. If any of you are familiar with Class Dojo and, and parents, if you are not, it can be utilized in a couple different ways. It's kind of like a, I believe it is supposed to be a positive behavior system. It can be used as not so positive. So it depends on how it's used. But this particular teacher displays the Class Dojo up on the board. So essentially like all the students' names are up on this board. And behind the names are points. And throughout the day, if the kids behave, uh, they get points. This particular classroom, when you misbehave, you lose points. And some kids have even gone into the negatives. So here's why I know this teacher really misunderstands behaviors. Because one, a lot of those behaviors that happen probably aren't conscious choices. So we are reprimanding students for doing something they didn't necessarily intend or try or maliciously want to do it's kind of like an impulsive like vomiting <laughs> like i'm gonna punish you because you vomited like we can't control that and i know it sounds crazy when we think about that behavior because we think that kids are rational enough to be able to do this and their brains are developed enough to do this but they are not yet anyhow so back to our example of class dojo everyone's stuff is displayed on the, the board for everyone to see. So everyone in the class sees when you get a point or when you lose a point. And mind you, these are six and seven-year-olds. I'm horrified because there are so many layers of this that's in a, that are inappropriate. Um, it's 
public shaming. It is humiliation. And it is a technique that does just the opposite of what we want to do. It does not change behaviors in a healthy and positive way. It does not teach kids to behave better. Um, It's actually, quite frankly, it falls into the emotional abuse category. Public shaming and blaming and humiliation are all types of emotional abuse. So, and this is not the first time I've heard of class dojo used like this. In fact, I've heard it used by quite a few classrooms in this exact way. I'm not saying that dojo is a bad thing. I'm saying that used in this public form. I mean, think about about this realistically from an, an adult perspective. If you had an end of year, maybe audit or something at your job and you got a score and your pay was dependent on that score and all of those scores were posted for the entire organization to see and you were ranked based on your score. And not only that, but when you screwed something up at work, which we all do because we're human and we have stressful days, your raised pay that you got maybe because you had a higher audit score is then docked because of the mistake you made. So (laughs) these are just techniques that are so outdated and so inappropriate. So instead of just telling this teacher like, this is not appropriate and you should be doing this, that doesn't usually go over very well. So instead I share with this parent a bunch of articles and evidence as to how these types of behavior charts are forms of shaming and what this does for a child's emotional health and what are some better alternatives. So when I bring a problem to the table, I always bring a solution. I am not going to tell a parent, a teacher, anyone, what you're doing is wrong, figure it out. I'm going to say, I'm concerned about what you're doing and here's a possible alternative or here are many alternatives, or let's talk through some alternatives together. But the biggest thing here is putting some evidence behind what I'm saying. Otherwise it's just my opinion. Another thing I'm going to do to help teachers understand behavior is, um, I'm going to become an example of it. I'm going to become a model of it. And I am going to to use things and and help people to see how well they work. So flashback, my second year of teaching, I ended up in a kindergarten classroom. I had 22 kids by myself, no age, no supports, nothing. And it was a wild class because I had kids who were very highly gifted, who were reading books of like the second, almost third grade level. Kids who (laughs) didn't know any letters of the alphabet. And I had uh, an eight-year-old in my kindergarten class that they had tried in a first grade class that had never been to school before, some trauma and abuse there. And um, he didn't do well in the first grade classrooms. They put him back in my classrooms. (laughs) It was a wild bunch. And I knew a lot about behavior and I knew how to manage a class well. And I knew how to build relationships with kids. And I knew that that meant if I had good rapport, they would listen. And by being that model and and implementing a lot of those techniques, my classroom became a model classroom and everyone wanted to know what I was doing and how my kids were so calm and kids would, kids would say, people would say, you know, you got lucky, you have a good class. Not necessarily. Uh, what, What happened was I had a good understanding of human behavior in the brain. And I used that to my advantage and not in a manipulative way, in a way that built strong core relationships where kids wanted to listen and they wanted to pay attention and they enjoyed it. And they liked coming to school and they liked coming to that classroom because they felt safe and heard and understood. So be a model of what you want to see. And eventually that will chip away at someone's thoughts. Okay. To wrap up the show, I'm going to share with you, try to home tip. It is one of my favorite apps. It is a free app. Uh, you can, um, buy the upgraded version. And I do, I I like the courses that are within the app. So I pay for the uh, annual upcharge and I 
think it's worth it, but <laughs> I would recommend that you just try it out first. It is called Insight Timer. It is a mindfulness meditation uh, app. It has um, mindfulness activities, meditations from one minute all the way up to 60 plus. There are uh, a range of topics. There are thousands of people that, that share these recorded um, mindfulness activities and uh, meditations. They are based on all types of topics. They're all types of meditations, like some are breathwork based, um, some are walking based, some are nature based. So it's, it's unlimited. There are so many meditations and activities on here that it's almost mind blowing. I use it every single morning. I try and meditate for at least 10 to 15 minutes, sometimes 30, if I can make the time for it or create the time for it. And there are some really awesome courses on there as well that, that dig into some therapeutic approaches. Some of my favorites are the inner child work courses and the shadow work courses. So definitely check it out because it's free. And uh, if you have any questions, let me know. All right, that's it for today's episode of Returning to Us podcast. Remember, our try it at home tip, which is try out Insight Timer app. And if you want me to answer one of your questions on a future show, email me at podcast at thebehaviorhub.com or send a text to 717-693-7744. And don't forget to lock in what you learned today by applying it right away. An easy way to do this is to leave me a comment or a review with your biggest takeaway. And don't forget to subscribe to a future episode or the future episodes or all of the episodes to learn more ways about how to hack your brain and human biology. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thanks for joining me. 